Hello, my name is Bill Cumby. Uh, I guess you're wondering where Pastor Bob is today, but he's on vacation. And so uh, a much-needed vacation. I think he really, we don't appreciate how much he does in the church and appreciate your prayers for him and his wife as they have some time off together. Um, so I have uh, not spoken before. Uh, actually, I have not preached in probably uh, about 15 years. So bear with me as I speak to you now and share the message. My name is Bill Cumby again. We've been coming here for about six years. Uh, my uh, actual profession is a water wastewater engineer. I, I do uh, recycle water for, uh, uh, for a living and enjoy it very much. But I also like to teach God's word. And so let's open in prayer as we uh, get into it. Lord, we thank you for the time we have together. We thank you that you love us so much. We thank you that um, you cared for us so much that you came and died for us. You Live in us now through your Holy Spirit and empower us to love each other and to love you more. And I pray that as we study your word today, we will learn how to walk closer to you and love you more. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. So um, we are going to be talking about walking with God in Christ in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And uh, I'm sort of one of my biggest faults, I would say, in teaching is that I like to really start at the beginning all the time. And so I can actually sometimes review a bit too much. Um, I do want to uh, take a little time to give you, give you a scripture overview to help you make sense of what Ephesians chapter 2 is talking about, though. So we are actually going to look at creation and the fall and what it means um, that, that we live in a fallen world and give you a little background, a very short background in the book of Ephesians, and then talk to you about Ephesians chapter 2, uh, and what does it mean to walk with God in Christ. So to start at the beginning, um, we have, uh, we have uh, I'm sorry, this, <laughs> this is new for me to use this. Um, I actually have a little trouble reading the, sign, the screen down there, so I will come from my, pat, my book. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So we, we see at the very beginning that God created everything, and, and the word created here is a Hebrew word bara. It means creation of something from nothing. It's, it's, a, it's a specific term that's not used very much in the book of Genesis. It's not used much in the first chapter of Genesis. In fact, it's only used five times in the book of Genesis. When he created the heavens and the earth, then when he created the animals, and then when he created mankind. And when he created mankind, it's used three times. And we're going to talk about that a bit. At this very beginning here, though, we see that in Genesis chapter one is, is, is a prologue to entire scripture. The emphasis is not on a scientific uh, or a historical or any other kind of account of how the earth was created, although I will say it is an accurate account. It is as close to a scientific account as you will find in any of the creation stories that are floating out there. It is an account that deals only with one God, that there is only one God, and he created everything. Why is that important to us? Well, um, there, there is an emphasis in scriptures that we want to have fellowship with God and that God created us for fellowship. And the other creation stories that are out there sort of talk about us being incidental in a lot of ways to, to the creation. 
Uh, this, the creation in Genesis chapter 1, we are the center of creation. So when it goes into um, Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 27, we see that it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Again, we see that creation is mentioned three times here. And we also see that God is referred to in a plural. Now, that's always caused problems with people that have read scripture, uh, especially before understanding of the Trinity, whether this was a royal we that God speaking as in royalty saying, we please, we do this or we do that. But we, can, we know now that basically God was referring to the Trinity. God was referring to the fact that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God himself, although one, is three. And we, we, we understand that because God was complete in and of himself. God did not need to create anything to be happy, to be full, to be fulfilled. God in himself found uh, a unity and community in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we say God is love, uh, that's a very Christian concept, by the way. It's not mentioned. Uh, Reverend Tim Keller mentions that that's only mentioned in the New Testament. It's a, it's a biblical concept that God is love. Many people today would agree with you that God is love, but that is found only in the New Testament in Scripture. And because of that, we see that God is love. He's not loving. He is love. So um, we are loving. We have attributes. We have um, things that make us who we are. We are loving. We are nice. We are kind. We are not kind or whatever. Those are attributes of us. But God in his essence is love. God is love. And what does that mean? God is a community. God cares for one another in himself, that by himself there is a divine dynamic dance of God caring for each other in himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God also wanted to share that love with others. And so there's a creation that was made. And in Genesis 1 covers the fact that we were created in that image. Now, what does that mean? It, it means that we are more than individuals, that we are not just created as individuals, that we are created as a community. And we're not going to be fulfilled until we're part of a community, that we are, we are individuals and we come to God individually, but we come to God as a community also. Um, in fact, if we, if we look at that, we see there's a spiritual DNA, a, sp a spiritual genetics in us, and there's two strands to that kind of uh, DNA. And one is to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. And the other is to love one another with our, as, as, as one another. And, um, and we... We fail when we start thinking about ourselves as individuals only. We fail when we start thinking about what I want and who I am. Uh, we find our unity in one another and in God. It's not to say we're not individuals, but it's to say that there's more than me as an individual, that I was created for something more. Um, in fact, Genesis 1 has the seeds of the great commandment. When we see in uh, Mark that when Jesus um, was asked what the two great commandments are, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And those are the two great commands that we find in Genesis chapter 1. That we find that we were created in the image of God. That we were created to reflect God's glory. And we were created to do that as a community. We are not individuals only. There are passages, um, Pastor Bob covered passages, 1 John chapter 4, where he talked about God is love, and there are many passages here, and many verses here that talk about us loving one another. I'm not going to spend time dwelling on these. You can read them as we go along, but the fact is that God is love, that he showed that love and given us Jesus Christ as his only begotten son, as a sacrifice for us to reunite us. The fact is, is that we we were united at one time, but we fell apart very quickly. Let me, let me go into Genesis chapter 3 very quickly and talk about what happened. So there was a serpent. Now, we don't know the details on things, but uh, we do know that the, the devil apparently inhabited the body of a serpent and came to, um, he was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had created. And he said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And you will surely not die, said the serpent to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining woman, wisdom. She took some of it and gave it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So here we see that at the very beginning, um, the serpent sets out to tempt mankind. And he approaches Eve, and he says, listen, God doesn't want the best for you. He's, God's good, but, but there's better out there. If you take this fruit that he told you not to, he's afraid if you take this, he doesn't want your best. There is better out there. If you take this fruit, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. You don't have to trust him. You'll be able to make your own decisions. You'll be able to do your own thing. And so Eve takes the fruit. She eats it, and she gives it to her husband, and he eats it. And then it says when they did that, their eyes of both of them were opened, and they saw that they were naked. And you think, what is going on here? What is happening in this passage? Well, when they ate of that fruit, they died spiritually. Their spirit died, and they had something to hide. But they didn't know how to hide anymore. And so they took coverings, and they covered themselves physically. We are spiritual, physical creations. And what we do spiritually gets reflected physically. And there was this void. There was something that needed to be hidden then. And so they covered themselves with that. And that's actually the story of our life now, hiding from one another, not wanting to share with one another, hiding from God. And so we see that in the next passage, that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, um, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
And this is something God wants to spend time with us. God loves us. We were created for fellowship with God. We were created. The first thing God did when he created Adam is we let him name the animals. It was an activity that he wanted to be part of. He wanted to spend time with us. And the first thing we see with Adam and Eve is he's walking in the garden in the cool of the evening, a special time of the day that he can share with the man and the woman. Um, They heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, God knew. God did not have trouble finding man in the garden, nor did he have trouble knowing that the man had eaten the tree of the, uh, the fruit. It'd be sort of like um, you're in the house and you had a cupcake and it's gone and you're in the kitchen and you say, Johnny, did you eat that cupcake? And it's like, Johnny's the only one in the house. You know who ate the cupcake, but you're still asking the question. Why are you asking the question? Well, you're asking the question because you want Johnny to fess up and say what's going on. And, uh, and sure enough, unfortunately, uh, uh, Adam does fess up. Uh, he, he goes ahead and um, uh, he, he says, um, uh, he says, um, excuse me, um, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. And now, the, first, it's not the smartest thing in the world sometimes when you, you're blaming the person that you're asking, but he's actually blaming God. He's throwing God under the bus in a sense. But notice the first thing that's happening. The first thing is he's distancing himself from the woman, that his helpmate, the person he's supposed to be in union with. And the very first thing is it's, it's all about him. You know, one of, my, one of my mentors, Ed Snyder, says, you know, no one has to teach a child how to lie. No one sits down and says, little Johnny, you know, if you want, uh, uh, if you want to uh, get out of trouble, the thing you need to do is tell a lie. To say, say what's going to make you more comfortable. We do that on our own. Why do we do that? Well, we do that because we want to take care of ourselves first. We want to get out of trouble. We want us to be number one. And here we see at the very beginning when, when God confronts Adam, Adam shifts the blame. Okay, shifts the blame back on God, hoping that that will give him some peace, which it doesn't. Um, Eve is, it has a much more noble answer. She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I will say this, Eve owned up to it. She did say the serpent gave it to her, but she owned up to what was going on there. But the truth is, is that even when we own up to our mistakes, we still want to not suffer the consequences of those mistakes. And um, what happened here? Well, we were created to be in fellowship with God. We were created to love God with all our heart. We're created to love one another. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, this, this is woman. This is the person who I am bound with and community with. And all of that fell when the tree, when the fruit was eaten. So was this a real tree? Was this a real fruit? I, I think it was. I think this is a true story, fully accurate. Um, and I think, I think that it wasn't that, that you ate of the tree. It was that we decided we were going to do our own thing. 
Now, we inherited that sinful nature. We inherited genetically, whatever, spiritually, whatever. We inherited a nature that is sinful. What does that mean? It means this. It means that we're broken. It means we are not who we were created to be. And you say, well, that's not fair. It's not fair that I'm being judged on something that I have no control over. Well, well, I understand that. On the other hand, each of us sin. So each of us individually condemn ourselves. Each of us decide we're going to know, we do something that we know God wants us to do one thing, but we do another. So individually, we all decide to go our own way. So we have two problems. We have a sinful nature, we're broken, and we sin. Now, just Jesus coming to, someone could take care of our sins, someone could pay for our sins, someone could redeem us, Jesus did. He paid for all our sins, but there's a deeper problem. Um, Watchman Nietzsche says, listen, if you want to get rid of uh, alcohol in the country, he gave the example of prohibition when he was writing, and he says, it's not sufficient to get all the alcohol out of the country, is it? He says, because if you get all the alcohol out of the country, what's going to happen? Well, there's going to be factories that produce more. You have to get rid of the production of the alcohol, too. And this is the problem with us, is we can try to get rid Jesus can forgive us for all of our sins. He can blot out of our sins. God can forgive us. But the problem is we're still broken. We're broken. What are we going to do? We're just going to go right back to sinning. Um, what Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus, and it covers all our sins. That is absolutely true. But it doesn't deny the fact that there's a part of me that wants to be whole. There's a part of me that wants to be changed. There's a part of me that wants to be in eternity, perfected with God, not, not in anger, not fighting, not saying, I want to do my own will, but to be made whole. And this is what the, this is what the gospel talks about. The gospel says in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, which is a, some background to the passage we're going to be talking, that Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In Christ, we have redemption through, the, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring to unity all things in heaven and earth under Christ. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the words of the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked within, in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. So the gospel in Genesis 1 through 3 is that God is love and that God cares for us even after we sin, even after we died spiritually. God loves us and has been working since the creation of time for redemption for us. That redemption is found in, that redemption is found in the Trinity here, that we see God the Father um, has, in love, sent Jesus Christ to die for us. And through the blood of Christ, that price has been paid. But there is more than the price that has been paid. 
I think sometimes in Christianity we stop at the price that has been paid through the blood of Christ and don't understand that it is the resurrection of Christ. It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives that truly make a change in us. The blood of Christ paid for our sins. The life of Christ, now in heaven, makes us alive, new, spiritually. So, uh, Book of Ephesians, a wonderful book, covers some major themes. I want to go over them real quickly before we get into the passage itself. It's the best exposition, probably, of the Trinity in chapter 1, aside from John. Why is the Trinity important? Well, the Trinity is important is because we see love in the Trinity. How the Trinity, how the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit interact with each other, give us a pattern and show us what love truly is. And love is, is the mutual submission, the mutual working together, the mutual uh, desire to redeem a people that we see in the Trinity gives us a guidance for how we should be as humans, how we should be as the body of Christ. It also says that all will be placed under, under Christ. Um, the ultimate plan, God's ultimate plan, is that Jesus would, would unite everything in creation. So people say, well, Christianity is a very exclusive religion. Um, why, why can't just being good be good enough? Well, the problem is, is as we know, no one is good. Okay? We're, we're, we can be pretty good, um, but our pretty good is not very good. Okay? And that very goodness causes a problem with us. Only in Christ, only by being united in Christ, can we live the good life. Can we be good people? Uh, we are not, we cannot force ourselves to be good people. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, changing our lives, that gives us the power to live a life pleasing to God. And lastly, um, it's not, Christianity is not an individual faith. The Holy Spirit lives in us to unite us together, to make us the body of God. Uh, and we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit more at the very end of this, but let's get into the passage now. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to walk, when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work with those who are disobedient, at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages we might, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do God's work, good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We see here there's a contrast in here. If, if you look at the passage, we can break it up into two sections, verses 1 through 3 and 4 through 10. One is we were dead in sin. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to walk. Now, the, this is a Hebrew idiom, walking. Uh, God walked in the garden. Abraham walked with God. Enoch walked with God and was no more. The, the whole idea of walking is the idea of passing through life. 
And so when, when you have a walk in life, it's sort of like your prof- more than a professional life, more of your how you live, what is going on in your life. And we used to walk in death. We walked, we walked in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live. Um, we were, by nature, objects of wrath. If we, if we look at this in detail, we'll see that um, we used to walk in them. Um, we walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of air, which is the devil, um, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We also walked in the lust and desires of our flesh, indulging those desires. And, and uh, um, it is a harsh condemnation. It's a harsh condemnation. No one is born a believer. No one is born a Christian. Um, we kid ourselves sometimes when we're, we're born in good homes, we're born uh, with Christian parents, we're, uh, or we're born in uh, very ethical parents, and they were raised well, and we learn right from wrong, and we have a feeling that we're very good. And perhaps we are good compared to another person. Uh, that's very dangerous and slippery ground. But I have to say this that, that uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, no one gets over 0.1 on the scale of goodness. We, we have a desire in our heart to do what we want to do. We go along with God. We, we, by the way, going along, saying, I believe with the Ten Commandments. I follow them all the time, but there's this one I don't and, and this one I can't. In fact, I remember when I was a, a kid, I remember telling God, I can follow all the Ten Commandments. I was about 13 years old. I was actually studying for, uh, for uh, catechism, and I was saying, I can... Although, except my mother and father, I can't obey my mother and father. I had a pretty troubled childhood. Um, not that that excuses that, but it was, it was I, I just can't do that. I'll do the rest. I'll do the rest. I remember me thinking that and thinking, you know what that's saying now? Now, I, in retrospect, I can look back and say, that's what that's saying is when it's good for me, God, I'll listen to you. But when I don't think it's good for me, I'm not going to listen to you. Okay? Which is basically saying, I'm going to listen to myself all the time. When you happen to agree with me, that's good. But when you don't, I don't. And so it is our own will. And, and the problem is this. We were walking in death. We choose what we want to do. Now, you might choose some pretty good things, and you might have a pretty nice life. But it's still a life apart from God. It's a life that, that ultimately will lead into death. Uh, Paul is very clear here to the Ephesians is that they've had some pretty bad things going on in the, in, in the church in Ephesus beforehand and, uh, or after, before they became believers and now afterwards. And we might say, well, we're beyond that. But the truth is we're not. We still have fights. Okay? You would think, listen, it should be pretty easy um, for us to get along in a church, right? But there are arguments in churches. I'm not talking about, per se, this church, although I will say in passing that sometimes churches, uh, people in the uh, pews, or aisles, or chairs, or whatever you want to call it, treat the pastor pretty, pretty poorly. I'm not sure that happens a lot here, but I will say this. As everyone goes to church expecting everyone else to act like a Christian, not like them. And so we get, sometimes we treat our pastors poorly. Sometimes we treat each other poorly. We get in marriages, you think, really, can it be that hard? God says you can settle down with one person, marry the person you want. All you have to do is get along with one person in your life. And yet the divorce rate runs 50%. Why is that? It's because we have trouble with, with life. We have trouble living in community. We have trouble fellowshipping with God. 
Right? We were walking in death, but God says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, if by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we, that we should walk in them. Let me, let me say real quick, the, the, bullet, the red bullet points are going to disappear from this next passage. Not that they're unimportant, but that I want us to concentrate on these, the rest of these. We were dead in our transgressions. We have been saved by grace. We are not saved by our works. We are not saved by our faith. We are saved through our faith. It's an instrument. But what saves us is God's grace. God calls to us and says, come to me. Come to me, you heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you a new life. So what does it say here then? If we put these, take those parts out, which are very important. I don't mean to to, to make light of them, but it's not the message of the passage that I want to really pull out of here. I want to pull out this. God was rich in mercy, and because he loved us, he sent his son. Now, we sometimes get a distorted view of the Trinity where it says God the Father was angry with us, and the son said, I will die for them. I will turn away your wrath. And uh, and. That is not the picture of the Trinity. God the Father loved us. God the Son loved us. God the Holy Spirit loves us. God the Father was angry with us. God the, Father, God the Son was angry, and God the Holy Spirit was angry. They were angry because we chose not only to do our own will, but that will impacts everybody else and hurts them. Everything in the world today, all the bad things in the world today, are because of the choices we make to do our own thing. I didn't choose the problems that, that day. Yes, but the chain, the interaction of all these decisions caused these problems in the world. The world suffers today because of individual wills that say, I won't do what the right thing is. I'll do what I want to do. And so God in his love sent Christ. So God the Father loves us every bit as much as God the Son. If you mistake the love of God and divide God up into an angry God and a loving God, it is not so. The anger God has is an anger that he has against sin, against the destruction of other people and other things that cause the problem. God's anger is directed there, and the redemption is in Christ. The redemption of sins is in Christ, but the new life is in Christ too. And we see that here, that he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. We are made for union with God. Okay? We are not meant to be God. Okay? That is, God is a separate creation. No, not, excuse me. God is separate. We are creation. Um, but we were created for a community with God. And the great message of the gospel is that we will all be united as one with Christ as the head. So 
we will not become God, and yet in some way we'll be united with God in a way we cannot even imagine. The truth of the gospel is wonderful. The blessings are wonderful. The problem is this. We can't see them. We can't see those promises. What we see is the world, and it's a broken world, but I have to say it's a beautiful world too. It's God's creation. It has many good things, many things that we call and say, I would like that, I would like that. Part of, part of the reasons the Sabbath has been set aside is a day of reflection. Now, again, the, 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 the Pharisees twisted it into not doing any work at all, but, but that was not his purpose. His purpose was a reflection that God loves us, that there is more to this world than working like animals. The, the reason we work six days a week and rest on the Sabbath is not because God doesn't want us to do any work. It's because God wants us to take that time and to look into eternity, to see what it means to walk with him, to see what it means to grow so how I should treat my fellow man, to, to really commune with God, um, to pray to him, to, to read our scripture, to understand what his will is, to walk with him in that garden that he wanted us to do that. That's the purpose of the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath doesn't replace walking with God the rest of the week, but it sort of sets a boundary for us to say, okay, God, I want to stop my busy life and spend time trying to see with spiritual eyes, trying to see with the eyes of my heart what you have for me, how much you care for me, how much I care for you and how much I need you in my life and my, my brothers' and sisters' lives. And then this passage ends, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus um, to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So his workmanship, the Greek word is poema, is where we actually get the word poem from. We are God's craftsmanship, workmanship. God created us. Every one of us has a special part, a special need. We are the apple of God's eyes, both collectively and individually. He delights in you. He wants to have fellowship with you. There's a difference. You are different from the person next to you in a way that God values immensely. Well, how do we actually achieve this workmanship? How do we walk with God? How do we walk in Christ Jesus? Well, uh, chapter 5 of Ephesians tells us that we walk in love. Um, there, therefore, be imitators of God and belo as beloved children and walk in love as Christ Jesus loved you and gave himself up for us in offering in a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and impurity or greed must not even be named among you. It is a proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather given of thanks. For you know with certainty that no immoral or impure or person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Well, now, does that sound like a sort of to-do list? That's a sort of, I, I, I'm saved by my faith in God. I, 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 what is this? What is this here? Well, this, these are God's rules for a happy life. The Ten Commandments, God's rules for a happy life. These commands are rules for a happy life. 
If you want to be happy, if you want to live a life that's full and fulfilled, Paul is telling us how to do that here, okay? And, and the truth is, is some of these things um, can at times be attractive kind of things. But the truth is, is they hurt us in the long period of time. And so God is telling us to walk with him, walk in love, um, to, excuse me, uh, to, um, and, and to walk carefully and make the most of our time. Um, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is, and do not get drunk on wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to God, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in fear of Christ. So what, am I, what does this mean for me? Um, I became a believer when I was 16. I had a very um, difficult childhood. I, I don't want to go into all the ins and outs. I will say um, divorced parents remarried. Both, family, both parents had complete breakdowns and hospitalized uh, for mental issues. My father committed suicide when I was in high school. Um, I went to 10 different schools before I went, graduated. Um, never went to school more than two years of my life. Uh, but one good thing was um, when I moved every year, I realized I could try to make my life better. I could change who I was. I could try to do things. And so at my first school, I, I tried to change and uh, just uh, um, have lots of friends. It didn't seem to work too well, my first school. Second school, I decided I'd just have a, a, just a few close friends and we'd have a really good time. That didn't seem to work too well, and so after, between my second and third high school, I sat down and I said, you know, things aren't going very well here. Um, I know there's a God. We went to church. Didn't go to church a lot, but we, at times we would go for months on end, and then we wouldn't go for years. And uh, I did learn a lot about God, and I knew that God was there, that God was loving. If I knew nothing else, my, my family and my church taught me that God was loving. But I also knew that God was not happy with how I was living my life. And I knew that there had to be some way I could come to God. I didn't know what that way was, but I, I promised God that uh, I, I want to come to him. If there was a way to come to him, I wanted to do that. And I started to read my Bible, because I had, didn't know where else to look, uh, and actually came to know God through there. And it changed my life. And I started going to school, and I met some other Christians in my high school. They actually invited me to a study on Romans. By the way, that is being studied. We're having a study on Romans in um, uh, a couple weeks. Jose is starting that on Tuesday night for young adults. And, uh, but I think it's open to everybody. I encourage you all to go to it. Uh, Romans talked to, talked to me about, again, the fact that not only did I do wrong things, but I was wrong. There was a brokenness in me that could be remedied by Christ. And so these passages here, Galatians 2.20 and 2 Corinthians 5.17, some might recognize. There are actually the two, first two memory verses in the Navigator Scripture Memory Pack that, you, that I actually got when I first got to college. So when I was, got to college, 
I got involved with the Navigators and also with InterVarsity. I probably would have got involved with some with Campus Crusade, but there was none at that time at the school I went to. Um, and and, it, it, the, and these, were, these were memory verses that I internalized. And I have to say, what does this mean for me? I am thankful. I am thankful to God that he did not let me keep on straying, that out of my life he pulled me and he gave me a new life. And that I have been crucified with Christ, but it's a loving relationship. The relationship I have with God is not a, a God who I fear that I have to be good or God will punish me. It's a God, it's, it's the parent who loves me and cares for me. He says, you don't want to touch that stove. It's hot. It really will burn you, okay? And I want to listen to that God, and I want to walk with that God. And I want us to know, too, that I'm a new creation. When I became a Christian, it wasn't an agreement with God that I'm not going to sin anymore. It wasn't, it wasn't a, I think, thank you, God, for forgiving my sins, and I'll try not to sin anymore. But if I do sin anymore, I know you've, you've forgiven me. But it's like, no, it's not only that, but now, God, you live in me. Your Holy Spirit lives in me. There is a community now. There are believers here. So one of the things that changed my life the most was the community of believers. And so I, as you can tell, I'm not a, a very polished preacher at all. <laughs> uh, I, I do, do like to look at Scripture, and I do like to teach. And the reason I like to teach more than preach is because generally when I teach, there's interaction and there's feedback and there's in, in discussion between groups. And I like to do that because I learn so much from other believers. You have a group of believers here that can help one another grow in love and help one another uh, grow in love and do good works. Um, many times we are embarrassed by our relatives, our spiritual relatives. The truth is, is they're embarrassed by us too. The thing is, that, well, we're family, and one day, we're all going to be together. And the things you don't like right now about your spiritual relatives are the things that are the sins in their lives and the sins in our lives that they don't like that will be washed away. And one day we'll be in eternity together. And they'll be the body of Christ. There'll be a, uh, a wonderful union and community in there. So what does, what does all this rambling have to mean to you? It means this. You are God's workmanship. You didn't just happen. You're his workmanship. You, and if you're a believer, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. God wants you to do good works. The good works don't save you. The good works don't make you better. But you were created in good works that God prepared beforehand. God wants you to do this so that we could walk in them. Now, you might say, well, that, what do you mean that God, is, are, the, is the, are these good works just, they don't count because God prepared them beforehand. It's, it's, that'd be sort of like, I was thinking today, I was thinking, you know, that'd be like an astronaut saying, you know, going up to space doesn't really count because it's all been planned beforehand. Okay, they know what I'm going to do and I'm going to do this and that. And no, no, that's what he was made for. And we were made for something. You were made for something. We were made as a community for something and we were made as individuals for something. So the question is, what does this mean to you that you've been created in Christ, that you have been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. I would say this, examine your hearts. Are you in Christ? If you're not in Christ um, and you don't understand what I'm even talking about, then talk to me, talk to Jose. Bob will be back next week. 
There are others that can talk to you about this, and we'd love to talk to you about what it means to be born again, to be born in Christ, and to be, have a new life in Christ. If you have crossed that, if you are in there, then you need to be in fellowship with other believers. Listen, if you spend one hour a week with God's people, that does not make you in community with the church. Okay? You need to be with other believers at other times. You don't have to be in a big group. You can be in a small group Bible study. You can be in a Sunday school. There are small groups starting up. You don't even have to be there. You can be one-on-one talking to one another and encouraging one another. But you need fellowship. You are not complete by yourself. You cannot be a lone Christian. Someone who says that they, they um, that, you know, Christianity, uh, my faith is a personal thing, it's just between me and God, is not being truthful. Yes, Christianity is between you and God. Your faith is between you and God. But it impacts other people, and you are created in a community. And so we need to be in fellowship with one another. Other thing is we need to be in fellowship with God. I would question, I would ask you gently, how much time are you spending reading the Bible? It is God's revealed revelation to us, okay? I don't understand it. It's, it's very confusing. I understand that. When I first came, I remember people quoting Scripture, and I'm thinking, I would never, I'll never be able to do that. Um, but you know what? There are a lot of good teachers that I was able to sit under, that were able to help instruct me. We have a subscription to a service. I'm not sure what the service is. If you've got the slide and you put it up there, that'd be great. But um, I, 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 have not, I don't have it in my slide pack. But it has great Christian teachers that you can interact with. Um, the other thing is prayer. Are you praying daily? Are you praying moment by moment, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? Um, there are some things God will not do because you do not pray. Isn't it an interesting thing that God has said that? I will not do certain things unless you pray. Um, you say, well, it doesn't say that anywhere. Well, yeah, actually it does. Uh, Jesus, when he cast out the, uh, the demon from the paralyzed boy, the disciples came to him and said, why, was, why couldn't we cast him out? And, and Jesus said, this one comes out only with much prayer. Think about that. Jesus said, this only comes out with much prayer. The unjust judge that wouldn't do his, uh, that wouldn't give justice to the widow gets worn down day after day until he gives her what she pleads for. That parable was told. Jesus told that parable and made his father to be the unjust judge just to show how much God wants us to be persistent in prayer. We need to be clinging to God. I will tell you this, uh, as a parent, uh, many times I wouldn't want to give my child something that they would just have, but they wouldn't appreciate it. They just wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't appreciate it. And so I think, but when they really wanted it, they really kept on asking for it, it was a delight to give it to them and see how it changed them. God wants us praying to him not just because he, he, want, he won't give us things that we, we don't pray enough, but because he wants that fellowship with us. You know, we have been created in a new life to be with God, and it's a privilege. I have to say, I've walked with God now for 35 years. I am a great sinner still. I still struggle quite a bit with things in my life. Um, and if you don't believe that, then you really do need to go to this Roman study that uh, Jose is doing, because Paul, Paul, and I don't, please, I'm not comparing myself to Paul at all, but I'm saying Paul, the greatest, said, I do what I don't want to do. You know, what, 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 what's happening? 
who will deliver me from this body of death? And he said, praise be through Christ Jesus, okay, that he is delivered there in the Holy Spirit. So there's a walk that's there. And part of that, part of that thorn, Paul had a thorn also, was that we would depend on Christ and that we wouldn't depend on ourselves. So I close up these ramblings saying, God loves you very much. He loves me. Um, he loves all of us. And he has a plan for us that is incomparably better than any plan we could ever have for ourselves. And so it behooves us to find out what that plan is by loving one another and loving him more. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this great love you have for us, that even at the beginning of your word, we see that you created us in your image and in your likeness, that you loved us, that you cared for us, that you walked with us, and that now you have redeemed us, that we can walk with you once more that we can walk in fellowship with you through Christ, through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Our lives can be changed. Lord, we thank you for that. We give you unbelievable thanks, more than we could ever express for your great love and your great sacrifice for us. And we pray these things in your son's name, Jesus, who died, and, who died for us and now lives for us and lives with us. Amen. Thank you all.